Let's open our Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 7. 1 Corinthians, chapter 7, for a lesson this evening, beginning with verse 1. Now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me, it is good for a man not, not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. Now then, of course, as you look at these verses, we want to really remember one thing, that Paul is answering the question. He's not giving instructions concerning marriage in general, for if in this case it were true, we wouldn't have any families later on. Uh, if he were really trying to promote that men would not have a wife, and that there would be no propagation of the families. We would not, uh, of course, have any children, and we wouldn't uh, endure as a, as a human race even if these instructions were taken as a general rule for marriage. But he's advising the Corinthian church under certain conditions that they had already asked him about. Now, if you'll notice verse 1, it says, Now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me. Evidently, they were asking him certain questions, and the question here is the question of celibacy. And he's talking, or remaining single. And uh, he's talking concerning the certain distress. Later on, he speaks of this present distress in the church at Corinth. And, of course, we know that this is a transition period of time in the church, that uh, many of these people were uh, living in idolatry and in sin and in heathendom, and their practices before had not been Christian practices anyway. And the Jews had even taken the marriage uh, contract and had uh, broken it down so that they were putting away their husbands or wives for just almost any reason. And there were many divorces. And so Paul is writing concerning certain conditions. And that's what we must understand in order to say understand this uh, 7th chapter of 1 Corinthians, because if we took it otherwise, then, of course, we wouldn't have families as we know them today, which God in the uh, beginning had ordained. He said that a man should leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they twain should be one flesh. And Jesus confirmed this and said, What therefore God had joined together, let not man put asunder. And he said that uh, families should bear children. And this has always been the plan of God. We must remember that. But the question here of uh, celibacy. It's good to remain single, uh, provided a person is gifted to, to have complete control of their body at all times so as not to be tempted. Now then, under certain conditions then, there it would be right. You look at verse 7 it, and verses 7 through 9. He says, For I would that all men were even as I myself, but every... Man hath his proper gift of God, one after this manner, another after that. I say, therefore, to the unmarried and widows, it is good for them if they abide even as I. Now, Paul puts himself in the category of the uh, of a widower. Now, some say Paul was never married, but he acts like that maybe sometime he was married and that uh, we don't know what happened to his wife, possibly death. But, uh, and that would be the probable thing to think because of the fact that Paul uh, was not the kind of person that would be putting away a wife, and he doesn't mention that that's the case, but he does indicate that he could have been a widower. But it says uh, in verse 9, but if they cannot contain, let them marry, for it is better 
uh, to marry than to burn. And that means to be vexed or to worry and to, and to fret. That if they need to be married, they should be married. In Matthew chapter 19, Jesus shows how that all men cannot receive the saying of staying single. And uh, I want you to look at verses 10 through 12. Matthew 19, it says this. His disciples say unto him, uh, If the case of a man be so with his wife, it is good not to marry. But he said unto them, All men cannot receive this saying, save they to whom it is given. In other words, all men are not alike concerning the need for a wife. It says, For there are some eunuchs which were so born from their mother's womb, and they naturally would not need a wife. And there are some eunuchs which were made eunuchs of men by a surgical operation or uh, made eunuchs so by men, which is not uh, spoken of either good or bad here by the Lord, but the Bible would naturally teach against trying to do anything to change a person's uh, a need for uh, the opposite sex. But if you'll notice here, it says, and there are there be eunuchs which have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He that is able to receive it, let him receive it. And that means that they have chosen rather to uh, be like Paul. And of course, Paul was not a eunuch, but uh, have chosen rather to remain single than to be married, that they might devote themselves completely to the Lord's uh, work. Now then, if you'll notice, the second question that comes up is the question of marriage itself. In verses 2, uh, let's read verses 2 through 5. It says, Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. The wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband. And likewise also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. So he's talking about, uh, the question of marriage here and how that it prevents immorality and uh, that failure in the duties of marriage would uh, cause either one, the husband or wife, to be subject to temptation. It says in verse 5, Defraud ye not one the other, except it be with consent for a time that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again that Satan tempt you not for your incontency. I didn't say that right. Probably won't the next time. <clears throat> but anyway, look at verses 10 and 11 also. It says, And unto the unmarried I command, yet not I but the Lord, let not the wife depart from her husband, but, and if she depart, let her remain unmarried, or be reconciled to her husband, and let not the husband uh, put away his wife. That separation uh, alone is not ground for remarriage. That you're not just to put away the wife or husband for every cause. So the question of marriage. The first we had the question of celibacy. Then the question of marriage. And now let's pick up with verse 7 and see the question of mixed marriages. And on down through, uh, quite a ways on down through verse 13 and 14 and 15 as well. Let's read this section. <clears throat> we read a part of it in our references, but let's pick up with verse uh Verse 6, But I speak this by permission, and not of commandment. For I would that all men were even as I myself. But every man hath this proper gift of God, one after this manner, and another after that. I say therefore to the unmarried and widows, it is good for them if they abide even as I. And remember, he's uh, still talking about this special case or distress that is in the church. 
and answering the questions, and we don't know exactly the implication of the fullness of the, these answers because we didn't ask the question and we don't have the letter that was given to Paul from the Corinthians. In other words, we don't know all the details they wanted to know, but he's elaborating on some questions that they asked him during a certain, during the present distress in that church. And, um, he's trying to answer fully concerning all the aspects, celibacy of marriage, immorality in the case that, uh, one would be tempted and the other, and now the mixed marriages of the unbeliever and the, and the believer, they had many of these. And we're told uh, basically and strictly not to marry the unbeliever. So if the case be that it, that there were unmarried, a young man, a young woman had never been married, you're not to go and marry an unbeliever uh, and, and knowingly so to do that because the Bible says be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. But here it says in verse uh, 8, I say therefore to the unmarried and widows it is good for them if they abide even as I. So the unmarried... And the widows, he's speaking, that they would abide as he w- would abide. But if they cannot contain, let them marry, for it's better to marry than to burn. And unto the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord. Let not the wife depart from her husband. In other words, God's word has given this command previously, previously to this. And it says that the wife should not depart from her husband. But, and if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. This is the answer. She must go back to it. And let not the husband put away his wife. Now then, we must take into consideration that there were many uh, separations and divorces in those days. And even among the Jews. Remember, Jesus said, you shall not put away your wife for every cause. They were just using any little cause. And uh, they were in the habit of doing that. They were saying that... Uh, certain things in the uh, family life before they were married that they didn't know about. They would go back to the father and mother and say, well, they had certain things there that uh, I didn't know about when I got married, and I know about it now, and therefore I want to put my wife away. And that's why Jesus said not put away their wife for every cause or their husband. And the wife could put away the husband in those days, the same as the husband the wife. And so Paul is trying to correct some of this and give good instructions and advice concerning it and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he says that uh, the scripture says, unto the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord. When he says, yet not I, but the Lord, he's saying that the Lord has already spoken about these things. He's saying that it's already written down, let not the wife depart from her husband. And down in verse uh, uh, 12, let's... uh, Pick it up. But the, to the rest speak I, not the Lord. Now, he doesn't mean here that this is just his opinion. And it doesn't mean here that Paul is not now under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit when he speaks this. But as far as previous instructions as to, about, uh, to what he's about to say, he's saying that this is the way it needs to be. But the Holy Spirit inspired all of the writings of the Apostle Paul and all of the words that he has given us, as well as all the Old Testament writings are divinely inspired. And so what he's saying here is that he's not speaking this of himself, uh, that it's the Holy Spirit, but there's not any previous instructions of the Lord concerning what he's about to reveal to us in giving these instructions. And he goes on to give them in verse 12. If any brother hath a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, Let him not put her away. Now here is a brother, a Christian man, 
that has a wife, that is an unbeliever, and she's pleased to dwell with him. Maybe he wasn't saved before uh, he married, or even if he were, he may have made the mistake of taking an unbeliever to be his companion. But regardless of the circumstances, it says, uh, if she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. And the woman which hath an husband that believeth not, and if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife. In other words, what he's saying here is that the union is lawful and binding even though one of them were not a believer. Whether it was the fact that one of them was not a believer at the time of the marriage or afterwards, it's still not the question. The question is that the, the union is lawful and binding under the Lord. So much so that when they have children that they, they are their children are sanctified. In other words, their their children children are legitimate children. Else the children would be illegitimate, wouldn't they, if it was not a sanctified marriage. So regardless, God has ordained marriage. And though it's taken uh, though the vows are taken and the union is made, even outside of belief and faith, God has still established the the marriage institution and one man to one woman and that their children are legitimate when they're born into that union and it's much better if there's two Christian people that are joined together and then they can bring their children up in the things of God than to have another kind of union whether it's mixed marriage or even an unbelieving marriage but it's still sanctified by the Lord as far as the legitimacy of the children. Now, if you'll read in verse uh, 14, For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now they are holy. In other words, it doesn't mean that they're Christians. You're not born a Christian, but you're born in this holy union, and their children are holy in the sense that they are uh, legitimate children, and they'll have the uh, privilege and opportunity of uh, all the sanctity of being brought up in a home that God is, uh, uh, in other words, endorsed this marriage union. Now then, in verse 15, before we leave this, let me point out that the Bible teaches that Christians should marry other Christians. The Bible teaches that we should not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Let's see if I can find it. Second Corinthians chapter 6, it says in verse 14, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. It says, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? And you could go on and preach a, a, a sermon on separation here. And it's not only separation as far as believers and unbelievers in marriage, but in business or any other thing. We're not to be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. Whether it's to marry an unbeliever, or it's to be associated with them in the business world, or to be a partner with them in certain ventures or whatever it may be, we're not to have that kind of relationship. And Christians should not marry unbelievers. <clears throat> but it says in verse 15, but if you back in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 now, verse 15, but if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God hath called us to peace. In other words, God doesn't endorse separation, but if they insist on it, it says the brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases. Now then, let's go on and read. For what knowest thou, O wife, whether thou shalt save thy husband, or how knowest thou, O man, whether thou shalt save thy wife? In other words, by living a Christian life, 
before the other one, they might uh, bring the other one to the knowledge of salvation. If you look in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 1, it says this, Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. Now look at this. That if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. And it goes on to tell their adorning inward instead of outward. And so we find that uh, that the wife, if she'll remain faithful and be a good Christian, may set the example. And it would be true of the opposite, too, if the husband was a Christian and the wife was not. He might uh, be an influence and that, uh, to win the other one. So that's what it's saying here. Paul is saying, For what knowest thou, O wife, whether thou shalt save thy husband? Or how knowest thou, O man, whether thou shalt save thy wife? So it would work that way in both cases, either husband or wife, that they might leave the other one to the Lord. If that was the case, that there was such a union uh, that existed, well, then they were to be faithful to each other and live a Christian life before the other and finally uh, win the other one to the Lord or through their testimony, through their uh, Christian life would win the opposite uh, sex and the, their mate to the Lord. We've seen that many times happen. I know some of you will know uh, Mrs. Anderson, if you'll remember her. Uh, she had lived many, many years, about 50 years with her husband as a faithful Christian woman. And when he was on his uh, deathbed in the hospital in El Paso, she had prayed for him all of her life and tried to live a Christian life before, but the Lord uh, led us down there one day to go and talk to him again, we had before, but it just seemed to be a special burden. We went there in the hospital, and and uh, he accepted the Lord as his Savior right there in the hospital. After all those years of her living the Christian life, I'm sure just what I said to him was not the final. Uh, it brought him to the fact that he made the decision and accepted the Lord, but I'm sure that all of her influence had something to do with that. And then uh, before we could get back home, well, she had called him on the phone. She was back in Rio Dosa. And uh, she they had a conversation on the phone, and he kept saying, said, uh, Honey, has Brother Joyce got home yet? And, and he wanted me to tell her about him accepting the Lord. And she thought that was so peculiar that he would ask if I had got home yet. And uh, from El Paso after visiting. Finally, we did what he wanted us to do is drive in and tell her. So we drove in their house up there, and just as quick as I put my hand on the knock on the door and put my hand on the doorknob, well, she come to the door, and I said, I have something to tell you. And she said, and she already said, praise the Lord. Said, I know what you're going to tell him. She, he hadn't told her, but she just was so uh, impressed with the fact, well, that that uh, there was something there that needed to be told. And she she says, my husband accepted the Lord. And I says, that's exactly what I was going to tell you. She says, he wouldn't tell me, but says, I knew there was something. So anyway, she was really rejoicing over that. Well, after all those years, she, uh, of course, uh, had been an example to them, to him. And that's what it takes. And I'm sure it had a great deal to do with it. But anyway, it was just in time. And then right before Thanksgiving, she was down there on Thanksgiving Day, still in the hospital. And he says, uh, he asked her if they couldn't, uh, if he couldn't say grace. And the first time he'd ever, she'd always had to carry the load herself and, 
and live a Christian life and ask the blessings if it, if it was ever to be asked and uh, all of those things before him. But now he wanted to. And that was a wonderful testimony from him. But anyway, let's look at verse uh, 17. But as God hath distributed to every man, as the Lord hath called every one a one, so let him walk, and so ordain I in all churches. In other words, as God is distributed to every man, he says this is an individual personal matter. Uh, he had explained the best he could, even under their present distress, all the things that were involved, and whether it was right for them to remain single or to get married under certain circumstances. And as we have said before, we do not know what those circumstances were. We can guess that there was much separation, there was much divorce, there were many that were mixed up as far as the subject of marriage was concerned. There's some that thought they couldn't serve the Lord unless they remained single, and all of these kind of things. And so Paul was just trying to answer their questions. And they're not as much uh, advices here, not as much advice given concerning marriage in general as it is under the certain circumstances, because later on, we're going to find in verse 26, if you'll glance down quickly, it says, I suppose, therefore, that this is good for the present distress, for the present distress. And what all that was, we do not exactly know all the details. But we know that Paul felt that it would soon pass and that things would res uh, resume to normal conditions, that a man would have his wife and they would bring up children and as they ought to. All right, let's look in verse uh, 17 and 18. Now the question of circumcision comes up. 17 through 19. Well, we read 17. Verse 18 and 19. It says, Is any man called being circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Is any called in uncircumcision? Let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing but the keeping of the commandments of God. So he's, what he's saying here, the question, concerning the question of circumcision, that circumcision was a Jewish rite and a Jewish ceremony. And it was not to be binding on Gentile believers. And he said it doesn't make any difference one way or the other. And so Paul says that we just want to forget about that and not worry about it, but it's given uh, under the law, and but the keeping of the commandments of God. And we know that those commandments were given basically to the Jews and that the Gentiles were not to be brought in under and expected to do everything that was under the Jewish uh, rites and laws and ceremonies. Now then, in verse 20, it says, we'll begin reading here, the question of slavery comes up in verse 21 down to 23. It says, Let every man abide in the same calling wherein he was called. Art thou called, being a servant? Care not for it. But if thou uh, mayest be made free, use it rather. He's talking about slavery. In other words, For he that is called in the Lord, being a servant, is the Lord's free man. Likewise also he that is called, being free, is Christ's servant. You're bought with a price, be not ye the servants of men. So what he's saying here, that if uh, you are saved as a, as a one that's in slavery or as a servant, you, and you're, granted, you're given salvation, then you should take advantage of it for the glory of God and live a Christian life even though you're a servant to someone else. But then on the other hand, if you're a free man and you're called to, to uh, be a servant of Christ, you become Christ's servant anyway of your own free will. And that's why he says, you're bought with a price, be not you the servants of men. Use the, serve the Lord, whether you be a, a servant to men or a servant to 
the Lord by a act, a voluntary act, you're still to serve the Lord because you're bought with a price and he's paid that price. Now then, let's uh, pick up again with verse 24. Brethren, let every man wherein he is called therein abide with God. Now concerning virgins, I have no commandment of the Lord, yet I give my judgment as one that hath obtained mercy of the Lord to be faithful. I suppose, therefore, that this is good for the present distress. I say that it is good for a man so to be. And he's talking about not only virgins as far as women are concerned, but men. And he's saying under the present distress, the question of virgins has come up. Instructions here are given to meet an emergency. The then present distress in the church at Corinth, it was not meant for a permanent ruling. And in verse 27, he says, Art thou bound unto a wife? Seek not to be loosed. Art thou loosed from a wife? Seek not a wife. In other words, for this present distress, I wouldn't have you to worry about being married or unmarried. If you are married, certainly do not uh, seek to be loosed from the marriage vow. And if you are married, I mean, if you're not married, do not seek a wife or a husband. But if you uh, are married, do not seek to be loosed. I may have said that backwards. I think I did. But anyway, you can see what it says in verse 27. And he's showing in verse 28 that even under this present distress and time of distress, that marriage was not wrong. He says, but and if thou marry, thou hast not sinned. And if a virgin marry, she hath not sinned. Nevertheless, such shall have trouble in the flesh, but I spare you. In other words, there, there are problems and troubles, and it seems like the troubles were more so in that day than at any time that he was talking about due to the circumstances that existed. It was not sinful, uh, and it was not wrong for marriage. And he says in verse uh, 29, But this I say, brethren, the time is short. It remains that both they that have wives be as though that they had none, and they that weep as though they weep not. And they that rejoice as though they rejoice not. And they that buy as though they possess not. And they that use this world is not abusing it, for the fashion of this world passeth away. He's pointing them, them to the fact that, that as far as temporal things, as far as this life is concerned, he's looking forward to the second coming of Christ anyway. And we should realize that the things that he was speaking of were temporal. But I would have you, without carefulness, he that is unmarried, careth for the things that belongeth to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he that is married careth for the things that are of the world, how he may please his wife. In other words, it's only natural to to please your your mate. It goes on to show husband and wife, it's the same that's true. The husband will try to please his wife and the wife the husband. So that's why he says that we should understand the situation. That we should understand that uh, there are things that we're duty-bound to do for husband and wife. In verse 34, there is a difference also between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman careth for the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But she that is married careth for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And this I speak for your own profit, not that I may cast a snare upon you, but for that which is comely, and that you may attend upon the Lord without distraction. He wants them to understand that uh, in the home and in the married life, 
and especially under the conditions that existed then and there, there would be great temptations and great distress because they were having their problems. And even in a natural way, there are sometimes those things that uh, we have to work out in the home before we are fit to to serve the Lord. We can't always leave all those problems. They have to be uh, attended to. And if we're going to serve the Lord, we have to keep the home right, don't we? We have to have harmony in the home. And Paul is trying to ensure that uh, in order that they may attend upon the Lord without distraction. It says in verse 36, But if any man think that he behaves himself uncomely toward his virgin, if she pass the flower of her age, and need so require, let him do what he will, he sinneth not, let them marry. Nevertheless, he that standeth fast in his heart, having no necessity, but hath power over his own will, and hath so decreed in his heart that he will keep his virgin, doeth well. And that's under those conditions, and under the man's determination, and under his ability to do so without any distress. And that's the thing that really needs to we really need to be concerned with. Now then, let's read verse 38, 39, and 40, and we'll try to give you the last thing. The question of remarriage comes into existence. It says, So then, he that giveth her in marriage doeth well, but he that giveth her not in marriage doeth better. Now, he's not saying it's better to remain single under all circumstances, but he's saying in this present distress and concerning the church of Corinth. Then he goes on to say, as far as the general rule is concerned, the last two verses sum up the, the marriage law and vow. It says, uh, the wife is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth. But if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will only in the Lord. But she is happier if she so abide after my judgment, and I think also that I have the Spirit of God. So the question of remarriage comes up. The marriage contract is for life, isn't it? It's recognized by a Christian, and we're to follow the rules of matrimony which produce happiness for all that's concerned. She is happier if she so abide after my judgment. I believe in many instances that's true. When one loses their mate, that they are happier if they abide uh, single from then on. We don't know that that's always the case, but in many instances, he Paul says, in my judgment, and I think also that I have the Spirit of God. So the question of remarriage comes up. We know that the main thing is this, that the law and that the Word of God, that uh, the teaching of God's Word teaches that a man and a woman are to live together all the days of their lives, and that that marriage vow that is taken is for life until one is dead. And then they are free to marry, but some of them may be happier if they do not. So let us stand together for just a word of prayer.